Hey y'all, this is Sam Leonard. I'm an integrated vascular surgery resident at McGovern Medical School. And I'm Callie Ferguson. I am the communication specialist at McGovern Medical School with the cardiothoracic and vascular surgery department. And today we present to you the podcast Deep in the Heart and Vascular of Texas, a podcast series on the topic of health as it relates to diagnosis and treatment of heart and vascular disease. We are recording from the Texas Medical Center at the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston. April is Limb Loss Awareness Month, and as a group of providers, we are committed to the prevention of amputation. There are an estimated 2 million Americans who have experienced amputation and roughly 28 million at risk. We sat down with advocates of limb preservation, Dr. Sheila Coogan and Dr. Michael Greaser, both who are with UT Health and UT Physicians. My name is Sheila Coogan. I'm a vascular surgeon at McGovern Medical School. I have a dedicated interest in limb salvage and also venous disease. And my name is Michael Greaser. I'm an assistant professor at McGovern Medical School in the Department of Orthopedics. I'm an orthopedic foot and ankle surgeon. And as such, I treat a lot of patients that are looking for limb salvage and trying to prevent amputation. To start off our conversation with them, we discuss the current topic of COVID-19 and how the recent pandemic has impacted their work in limb conservation. In an effort to reduce the spread and rate of infection in the hospital systems, elective surgeries are still on hold until Texas Governor Greg Abbott lifts this ban. Doctors Greaser and Coogan shared with us the urgency in seeking treatment through telemedicine or otherwise despite the coronavirus outbreak. Thank you both for joining us. Um, Just jumping right in. We've seen a lot of decrees from the Surgeon General and the Governor of Texas regarding uh, elective surgeries, non-elective surgeries, urgent versus emergent surgery. Um, How are um, limb salvage surgery or amputation surgeries characterized now at your hospital? This is probably one of the few surgeries that we're still performing on a regular basis is surgery involving infection or limb salvage or, or amputations. Despite the um, ban on elective uh, surgery, this is an area where we're still really urging patients who have concerns uh, to come in and see us, and we're still treating this on a daily basis. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. I would say, um, you know, it's sort of how, how bad is it is sort of the question we sometimes ask our patients. Right now, unless we think you're going to have an immediate risk to your limb, we're trying to limit those surgeries so that, of course, if there's a need to provide hospital beds or ventilator beds or ORs for patients who are COVID-19, we can allow those patients to have access to the hospital. At the same time, we don't want our patients who don't have to have something right now to become infected in case the hospital has a, a number of those patients. Have you both seen an increase in patients either calling your office with concerns uh, in their own health or avoiding a hospital to avoid COVID? Um, I would say that in general, we haven't seen an increase in the number of patients who are uh, seeking treatment in our clinics or even in the ER, maybe even less than normal, which is potentially a bit concerning because people may be ignoring some of these problems that if they're not taken care of in an expeditious manner could uh, result in a, a worse outcome. Yeah, I have a handful of patients who really have issues that I would normally have scheduled relatively quickly, and I have to reassure them that they are not in a situation where they're at immediate risk for limb loss, but I also have to tell them that you know we're available, and if, if it gets to a point where things worsen in their condition, then we would see them more expeditiously, and we would actually do their surgery, and that did happen with one of my patients. I, I would say it's just more important now than ever in this sort of heightened 
sense of, you know, should I be out in public or seeing a doctor? I, I would say, yes, it is important. Even if it just comes down to a telephone call, we're all practicing telemedicine at, at UT Physicians Now. Yeah, we're here, and I think the first reach out is either with telephone or telemedicine, and we still see patients if they need to be seen. We don't want we don't want COVID nineteen to preempt you getting access to care and you getting something done that's going to save a leg or save a toe. So main message being it's still a high priority. Don't dismiss it because of the pandemic. Absolutely. For sure. Amputation serves as a surgical measure to control pain or disease in the affected area. Johns Hopkins Medicine reported that nearly 82% of amputations are caused by circulatory issues or vascular disease. Doctors Coogan and Greaser shared with us risk factors and what patients and family members should consider to avoid amputation. A little bit of background on amputation um, and limb loss, indications of amputation from both of your specialties, what causes gangrene, who's at risk, and some of the warning signs that people should be on the lookout for. So as an orthopedic foot and ankle surgeon, I would say the majority who are in need of limb salvage or at risk of losing a limb are typically diabetics, oftentimes with wounds on their foot or maybe just coming in with the first signs of a, an ulceration or a wound. Um, we do see some patients with peripheral vascular disease um, as their primary cause of um, threatened limb. But these patients will typically uh, present with an infection, sometimes gangrene, which is a tissue death or tissue necrosis. And that is really a limb-threatening condition and should be evaluated in most cases, uh, very urgently by a physician. Risk factors, diabetes, peripheral vascular disease, or decreased blood flow in the leg are probably the two major ones, but we also see these wounds in uh, people who have peripheral neuropathy, whether it be from chemotherapy or other chronic conditions. Dr. Greaser has sort of listed the main causes. The other thing that's sort of a correctable cause to do is to stop smoking. When you think about risk factors for heart disease, that's the risk factor for vascular disease. Certainly diabetes is really, really high in this patient population. But most people don't get to a tissue loss phase before they have some pain with walking. And so we call that claudication. So if you have some pain with walking, that's an early sign that you may have a problem with your blood flow. Um, we always try to intervene and try to fix blood flow, and we really rely, we work hand in hand with our orthopedic surgery colleagues because certainly if they recognize someone who has uh, early signs of a problem with their blood flow, they refer that to us and we try to help them manage that. Um, are there any other signs that would prompt uh, patients or our listeners at home to, to seek medical care, whether it's a telemedicine appointment or go to the emergency room? Yeah, you know, it's always true in medical school, they tell you to listen to their story. There are a lot of studies we do, I would say, if patients have pain with walking. Sometimes they can walk a quarter of a mile, but then one leg just gets heavy or tired. So sometimes it's not really identified pain. Sometimes it's just that it's heavy or tired. Sometimes people will tell you their legs feel like a cinder block. But if one leg isn't like the other, then generally something's wrong with that one leg. More of our patients are diabetics with peripheral neuropathy or decreased sensation in their feet. And they often come in with fairly mundane things, things that they believe to be not a big deal. It's as simple as a blister or even a red spot that may not seem like a big deal, but this can quickly spiral out of control. So I think the key is to check your foot. Make sure you're looking at your feet daily. I think it's better to err on the side of caution.
and to have these problems evaluated even by your general practitioner, if not an orthopedic foot and ankle surgeon. And especially if a diabetic patient has a wound on their foot or any discoloration on their foot, that needs relatively quick evaluation. This is where orthopedics and vascular surgeon really interact. Many diabetics, their circulation is okay, but it's an important step in treating these patients to rule out vascular disease that could prevent healing of that wound appropriately or expeditiously. Collaboration is key when it comes to amputation prevention. A team effort involving a patient's group of specialists is needed to help prevent limb loss. Dr. Greaser provided his input and role as an orthopedic surgeon, and Dr. Coogan discussed what measures she takes as a vascular surgeon to avoid limb loss. What, in your recommendation, is the best way to prevent limb, uh, limb loss? And both, you know, more involvement of your primary care provider, is there a dietary role, is there a role for exercise? What have you seen? Yeah, there was a great ad a few years ago. I was visiting San Francisco, and this ad kept going about this on about this new treatment called Marche. And it was really this great thing from France. Did you ever hear this ad? No. It was brilliant. And it was called, they said, it's this new thing. We've imported it from France. It's called Marche. Well, Marche is the French word for walk. And so, <laughs> and so the point was, the more you walk, even if you have blockages, um, we can help you with blockages if you have them, but walking actually helps actually helps you grow small vessels that don't entirely replace the main vessels but prevent problems because you get more blood flow around the blockage. So walking, I would say, is the one real rule of thumb. You've got to walk and walk. And even if you have pain when you walk, it's still important to try to walk as much as possible because the pain will lessen if you start to use the muscles that require blood flow. Really good understanding of how your blood sugars are maintained is so critical. And then the last thing is smoking is such a huge addiction, and it really, I'm very sympathetic to my patients. So we're on their side. We really want to do everything we can to help patients, but some of it is stuff they have to do with lifestyle, and that's being in charge of their diabetes and also really taking control of trying to quit smoking for smokers. It's really all about prevention here, and, and you prevent these problems by making lifestyle changes and taking care of your your medical problem, increasing your exercise, uh, all those are really important. Um, it's important to make sure that you've got a good pair of shoes, have a orthopedic foot and ankle surgeon or your primary care physician evaluate your footwear, and also to check to see if you've got any deformity because sometimes simple things like a hammer toe or bunion is sort of the nidus for a potential uh, wound and infection and then amputation. So. When you say deformity, that's sort of a big word. So if they're looking at their feet, can you just kind of give a simple understanding of what that would be? So I, I think, yeah, so deformity sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's not always that bad, right? Everybody's got subtle differences in the way that their foot is shaped, right? So a lot of people are flat-footed, and diabetic patients with flat feet can sometimes develop what's called a rocker-bottom foot to where your arch is completely collapsed, and this can put you at risk for having an ulcer on the sort of bottom of your foot, in the middle of your foot. Other deformities are as simple as a hammer toe or bunion, which is crooked toe, or maybe your second toe crosses over your big toe. And when you wear a pair of shoes, that's when that problem really becomes a problem, especially in the absence of sensation, because that pair of shoes is going to rub on the top of your crooked toe, and that forms a blister, which then leads to an ulcer, and that can lead to an infection. So some of these sort of innocuous um, little crooked toe deformities can really end up being bigger problems for patients, especially in the presence of 
diabetes and specifically neuropathy. And, and help me because I don't know this for your clinic, but how early do you want to see a diabetic patient? Is it a good idea for anybody with diabetes to sort of be networked with someone who does foot and ankle work? Or I think that if there is a deformity and a problem with footwear or a concern for wounds, then uh, I we are always happy to evaluate these patients and make sure that we've got them in the appropriate orthotics and shoes to prevent um, these problems. Um, I will say that most of our family practice and primary care providers do an excellent job of teaching patients with peripheral, with peripheral neuropathy and diabetes how to check their feet daily and recognize these sort of warning signs for potential wounds. Yeah, and I, I actually think I see some patients who can't see their feet. You know, a lot of diabetics have visual vision problems, and so hopefully if they live with someone, they can just make sure that their relative looks at their foot every day because that's super, super important catching these things early. I've never even thought about that. I think you mentioned there earlier, like, check your feet. They're always, like, a second thought, and unless I'm in pain, then I'm not going to check my foot. Right, and, and you know, Michael's really kind of highlighted that diabetic people don't, diabetic patients don't feel their feet the way normal people do, and so they won't feel a sore, and so they could be walking around with something that's just on the part of the foot that you really would have a hard time seeing unless you're, you know, the, the rubber band man in the circus, and so that's hard for people to see and assess unless someone else living at home with them can see that. A mirror is good if they can see well, if they have vision trouble, and a lot of diabetics have, you know, problems with their eyes, um, so it's just really a good idea to come up with some routine that they check their feet all the time, I think. Yeah. We see these problems in people with a normally shaped foot that they accidentally get a rock stuck in their shoe. And most of us with good sensation are going to pull that rock out immediately because it's going to be really uncomfortable. And if you don't have great sensation in your feet, you'll walk all day with that rock in your shoe and rub a, a sore on your foot. So it's it's just a critical part of um, you know, diabetes management. Uh, from the patient standpoint, to check their feet daily. Yeah, and you guys do a great job. I mean, honestly, the sooner you get there, the better. For sure. What are what do you do to ensure that you have good results and outcomes? Wow, you know, I think patients present to us at different different stages. I think the main thing is if people reach us, then we have a lot of opportunity to help them. I try to be really direct with kind of where they are in the whole process. We will look very very hard to see if there's blood flow we can restore. Um, if it's a wound with infection, that's where we really have to rely on our orthopedic surgery colleagues to limit the infection. And so sometimes you limit the infection first and then provide blood flow. But again, our orthopedic surgery colleagues also have to limit wounds and manage infection and, and bone abnormalities. Yeah, I would, I would just say that any effort in limb salvage is really a multidisciplinary approach. And it really involves a team of specialists. And those members include vascular surgery, orthopedics, infectious disease physicians, wound care specialists, and then even your internist who's got to manage diabetes. I mean, you really have to approach this as a team to end up with the best outcome possible. Yeah, and I would also encourage people if they are in a situation where they've been told they might um, be in a limb loss situation, I would encourage them to seek a second opinion. There are a lot of different specialists uh, out there who treat limb salvage or limb preservation patients. And for me, I try to go the distance with my patients. I will always consult a colleague if there's something that I think they could offer that I don't. This is about the patient maintaining their limb, so there is no pride in me seeking all the resources I can to help patients. What treatments can you, you both of you offer to your patients who do have a significant risk for uh, MPT? 
for orthopedics, things to control infection. In some cases, if the patient has a foot that's shaped in a way that we just can't prevent wounds, then one of the things we do is help to correct that deformity, whether it be procedures to take care of bone infections, initially trying to get them into a shoe, a boot, uh, an orthotic that'll prevent a wound. Yeah, really, I have to ditto that. It doesn't matter how perfect your blood flow is if you have a toe that's constantly rubbing on the top of your shoe. So there's a variety of minimally invasive ways that we can try to reopen vessels. The first thing we do is an imaging test, which is called an angiogram. It's where we use x-ray to inject some contrast material, and that kind of gives us an outline of where the vessel has blood flow and where the blockages are. And then we have a variety of techniques using balloons to open up a vessel or using um, a little device that takes out the plaque called atherectomy. Um, sometimes it's a laser, sometimes stents can do surgical bypass. And sometimes that's using a vein, sometimes it's using a piece of plastic tube. So we try really hard to restore flow, and there's a whole bunch of different ways. It really is very specific to where your blockage is. And Dr. Pierce, I wonder if you could comment a little bit on you know, if, if patients have either had an amputation in the past, whether it's traumatic or medical, medically needed, what are the options for these patients who uh, require an amputation going forward for quality of life preservation? You know, sometimes a reconstructive procedure is, is what I'd say, first of all. So it's not always a failure to have an amputation. I think it's important to establish themselves with a physician, whether it's an orthopedic clinical surgeon, orthotraumatologist, or a physical medicine rehabilitation doctor who deals a lot with patients with amputations, um, and vascular surgery can be included in that. Moving on with life after an amputation involves another team of people to help you rehab, uh, to help you get the right prosthesis, and to help make sure that prosthesis fits correctly to prevent breakdown or pain at the amputation site. So in, in our department uh, at UT Orthopedics, we have a physical medicine rehabilitation physician who specializes in post-amputee care. She's done an amazing job at making sure that these patients get back to their highest level of function possible. I think you're referring to Dr. Melton? Yes, Dr. Melton. She is awesome. <laughs> she's incredible. Yeah, she's incredible. Yeah, she's really passionate and she's a real advocate for all the amputees. And I would so second that whole concept that the idea whenever anybody has an amputation, the goal is always that they will be functional. You know, to the extent that you can get them back to be as mobile and as active as they can be, that, that is certainly the biggest goal. What would you want patients and primary care providers to know about things happening? I think mainly that, you know, that we're here and that we're happy to evaluate any patient that they're concerned about and that there's really no you know, referral that isn't appropriate. We're more than happy to take care of the patients in our community. Yeah, I've been pleased really that some healthcare companies have now started you know, having people screened as part of their screening physical for their lower extremity blood flow. And I think um, even if they don't need anything right then, if they have sort of mildly abnormal flow, that's a time where we can start to talk to them about walking and doing things that don't even require procedures and try to do sort of prevention measures early. So one, if patients have leg pain, it needs to be evaluated. It may be that it's nothing, but it, it's really easy to get a quick arterial test. I feel for my internal medicine colleagues, they're trying to make sure they've got the flu shot, their thyroid test is done, their cholesterol is checked, you know, their blood pressure is controlled. they got a lot to do in a, in a well visit. So we're happy to help them sort through some of those things if patients complain of other, other problems. Are there any resources that you give your patients who are, uh, I guess, interested in learning more about lower extremity amputation prevention and for uh, lower extremity pain 
There's an entire site devoted to public education called Foot Care MD. The AOFAS has resources for patients who um, are wanting to know about diabetic foot checks or uh, amputations. In addition, Dr. Daniel Melton here at the orthopedic department at UT is also really useful resource for us. I think there's a lot out on the internet. You know, of course, some of it's good and some of it's bad. I just always try to cheer my patients on because look, you know, walking and walking on a regular basis and doing a regular exercise program is hard. You know, that's why people have the gym memberships that they sign up for in January and then no one's there in March. <laughs> Quitting smoking is hard. Those things are hard. So I just try to really advocate for my patients and really encourage them um, to be proactive. What about the kind of add-ons that you can get at Walgreens, like compression socks or like a robotic insert? How are those influencing outcomes? For swelling, I think compression socks can be useful. If they have a problem where they have a blocked blood vessel and they have pain in their legs when they walk or they have a sore on their foot, I generally would not recommend compression. I have had several patients over many years who have done sort of Epsom salt soaks and creams and ointments, and I would say that's a real liability. Um, I've had a patient who, like most people, if a little is good, then more is better, and it was a patient with diabetic neuropathy that soaked his foot in Epsom salt and basically caused like a third-degree burn. So I would be very, very cautious about putting ointments on. I just think if you have any concerns about your feet, you should try to see a dedicated specialist before you sort of try to self-manage. Yeah, I do use a lot of compression. There's a lot of swelling involved with foot and ankle procedures. It's hard as a patient to navigate the orthotic market, I think. There's just so many options out there. Patients who are trying to prevent wounds on their foot, I think it's probably best to be evaluated by someone who takes care of this problem on a normal basis. And um, a lot of insurance providers will actually pay for custom shoes and orthotics if you have diabetes and peripheral neuropathy. So I recommend people coming in to see someone who manages these problems regularly. As we close out the month of April as Limb Loss Awareness Month, we highlight the importance of making limb salvage your year-round effort. Through collaboration, education, and early detection, we extend the message to the community to check your feet. Thank you for listening, and be sure to follow along with us on social media at UTH underscore CV surgery, and catch us on the next episode of Deep in the Heart and Vascular of Texas.